So coming up, we have a great episode with Dave Sperling. So he's a former expat, but also founder of eslcafe.com, which is an excellent resource for anyone who wants to go abroad and teach ESL. So, you know, that could be the starting point of so many other things, but maybe you just need an opportunity to get you overseas and teaching ESL can be that opportunity. Welcome to the Are We Home Yet podcast, where we talk to expats about what it's like living abroad, and they tell their stories, whether it's the struggles, the joys, falling in love, raising a family, managing a business in another country, and maybe still searching for that place they will one day call home. This is a place where you can listen, the guest and host will share, and maybe we'll all learn from these stories that we're all connected in what home means to each of us. I'm your host, Jalila Clark. Welcome to the show. Hello, hello, listeners. Welcome, welcome back to the Are We Home Yet podcast, a podcast for current expats to talk about what it's like living abroad, you know, the struggles, the joys, what it's like making a home abroad. And also, this is a source of inspiration and encouragement for future expats to take that leap, that chance, that risk to experience maybe an adventure, something unknown, something they'd never thought of before. So, Today we have with us, and my pleasure to introduce Dave Sperling. He's the creator of davesesl.com, a source for expats to find ESL teaching jobs online in various parts of the world. Hello, Dave. How are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. So let's jump right into it. Where do you currently live? How long have you lived there? And you know what caused you to move there? Okay. Well, I live in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And uh, how long have I lived here? Well, I grew up here Mm -hmm. and then spent some years abroad, which we'll talk about, I'm sure, a little bit later. Mm -hmm. And then I moved back here from Thailand um, in 1992 when my son was a year old. Mm -hmm. So I've been back here since 1992, although I've traveled abroad many, 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 many times. And so I visited Los Angeles when I lived in America, but still tell our mm-hmm. listeners, what's Los Angeles like? So like what mm-hmm. like the foods and the, the environment, the vibe, what's it like? Well, there's, there's not many cities that are like this. It's first of all, it's just vast, like a lot of places that I've lived, like Tokyo or, or time that I've spent in Bangkok, and you, know, you could spend the rest of your life exploring Mm-hmm. LA, as we call it, LA is probably one of the most ethnically diverse cities in the world. I mean, we have like the largest Thai population outside of Thailand, the largest Korean population outside of Korea, the largest Mexican population outside of Mexico, and so on and so on and so on. So, with that said, we have these amazing neighborhoods. You know, we have a really vibrant, uh, incredible Korea town, we have a Thai town. We have little Saigon because there's a large Vietnamese population. So with all of that, when you get to the food, the food is fantastic. Mm-hmm. So we have food cuisine. Maybe maybe if people like 
foods from all over the world, maybe one of the best cities in the world to, to taste cooking and types of dishes from all different countries. But it's a great city. Yeah, it's a complicated city. It's, it's not a city that you could describe in just a couple of sentences. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, you know, you have Hollywood and you have the music industry and you have the film industry. But then at the same time, it's, it's also a very uh, Latino and uh, very blue collar city as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but I love it. It's my home. Okay. Okay, cool. And so you had mentioned living abroad. So how long did you live abroad? What prompted you to move to that specific uh, country? What was that experience like? What was the food, the culture, the vibe there? Well, it goes back. I'm older than you are and maybe a lot of your listeners. So I moved in the 1980s uh, to Japan. Mm-hmm. And uh, so let's see, what year was that? 1985. Mm-hmm. So I was 24 and I was just a couple of years out of university. And um, it's different now. I mean, you told me a little bit about your story mm-hmm. about about teaching abroad and how a lot of your friends and family thought you were crazy. But yeah. when you go back yeah. to 1980s, you can multiply that by about, you know, 500, because it just was not a thing that many people really knew about. Of course, it was Mm pre-internet. And, and, you know, people didn't go abroad to teach or not many. It was pretty much an unknown phenomenon. Mm -hmm. But I did, you know, uh, and I went to Tokyo, I had visited Tokyo before. Mm -hmm. And I went to Tokyo in 1985, just a day or two before my 24th birthday. So it was March Mm -hmm. of 1985. Yeah, you know, what was it like there? Well, first of all, Japan was, it was the 1980s. So I guess it would be maybe the equivalent of perhaps the way South Korea is now, or perhaps China is now, where especially Korea, you know, with this focus on K-pop. And Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of people that are interested right now in, you know, Korea and Korean things. And Japan was like that, but maybe even more so in the 1980s. And um, so, you know, like your experience, there were just people from all over the world. I met expats, and uh, I just really embraced it. I've always loved traveling um, since mm-hmm. I was a kid, teenager, and prior to that, I had backpacked kind of like all over the world. So I just really embraced for the first time being able to to not just travel, but to actually live and work in a different part of the world, mm-hmm. learning a new language. Just every everything was just so different and exciting. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't know how to teach English. I kind of faked my way. <laughs> Fake it till you make it. <laughs> I did everything the opposite. So now, you know, I have a master's degree in, in um, applied linguistics and teaching English as a second language. That, But that came many years later. I, I did everything kind of in reverse. But mm-hmm. back, back in those days, all they wanted was just, you know, a native English speaker. And many times, not even that. They wanted mm-hmm. people that just looked none Japanese. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I was a quick learner and I had experience throughout my life um, with people from other countries. So it was easy for me to, you know, speak slower and to enunciate clearly and to be friendly. It was just kind of a, a natural for me. And that, you know, if you can do that, that's half the battle. And then I just taught myself, you know, in the, in the early days, I just, before I was able to actually go to school and be trained, I just kind of, kind of taught myself how to teach English, but I I didn't want to go home. I Mm -hmm. mean, you know, I loved it. I felt that I was going to be a permanent expat. Really. I didn't uh, really expect to come back to America and uh, 
be back here for so many years, but mm-hmm. it was a great time being in your twenties and being in Tokyo and yeah. in the 1980s with all that great music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Hey, if you're enjoying the show, make sure you subscribe and join our community via Facebook and Instagram by typing in, are we home yet podcast and Twitter by typing in, are we home yet pod where we share resources you can interact with our guest and you have a chance to tell your story as a former current or future expat and of course be a part of our community the social media links are also at the bottom of the page on the are we home yet podcast.com website as well okay back to the show So question for you. So was Japan the only place that you lived? Did you live in any other places? And, you know, you're right, pre-internet. So I was able to find my employment and apply on the internet. But like, how how did you find your employment or or any employment? Yeah, that's a good question. It was very, very different. Um, so in Japan, to, to use that as a case in point, mm-hmm. it was Monday of the Japan Times. So on Monday in the classified section, Every Monday, they would have several pages of listings for schools looking for teachers. Mm-hmm. And so that's what you do. You get up Monday, and then you'd, uh, I remember <laughs> it was so cold. You'd have to go, I didn't have a phone, so I'd have to go to a phone booth in this, you know, 30 degrees. Of course, I was coming from California with, you know, 85 degree temperature Fahrenheit for your listeners that, that are on centigrade. This is Fahrenheit. And it was freezing and it was snowing and I'd go to a phone booth and, uh, and I would just um, look at the classifieds and start calling and setting up interviews. And then I would go out there and interview and interview and until finally I was able to get something. So that's how I did it. I, in, in those days, it was pretty easy to secure a job. You just had to have the money to get over there and to kind of support yourself for you know, a week or two until you could actually land employment. So like in my case, you know, you'd stay, they call them like gaijin houses, kind of inexpensive uh, guest houses that you'd stay in, in in the beginning. And then, you know, it was, I don't know how it is now. I'm sure it's a lot more difficult. And certainly um, COVID is, it's made it very, very different, you know, as, as, we've, as we're going into, is it the third year mm-hmm. of COVID yeah. as we're yeah. going into to this year? So it's changed uh, things a lot. But but back in those days, that's how it was done. You know, it was very different pre-internet. Living abroad as well was yeah. very different pre-internet because like right now you're in Shanghai and I'm in LA and we're talking to each other as yeah. clear <laughs> as if you're in the next room. But yeah. but back in those days, it was expensive and difficult to be able to communicate with your family and friends. It was all letter writing, mm-hmm. uh, mostly, you know, long letters, uh, no email. Now, as far as uh, the other place that I lived, um, I lived in Thailand. Mm-hmm. So in 1988, I moved to Thailand and I took a year off. I had saved enough money in Japan um, to take a year off uh, to not work, which mm-hmm. was nice because <laughs> I was I was only 27 years old. So, you know, I took a year off and, um, and uh, did things that I just wanted to do. Like I traveled. Uh, I mean, I had a base in northern thailand chiang mai i had a an apartment 
that I rented cheaply. Mm-hmm. And then I used that as a base and I traveled. Uh, I met my father in Australia and we traveled to Australia mm-hmm. and New Zealand together. And uh, oh, where else Where else did I go? Oh, I, I went to Europe. I went to um, Romania mm-hmm. and I went to the Middle East. I was in Israel. Um, and then I traveled, uh, you know, all over Asia. And especially I traveled all over Thailand. Mm-hmm. I bought a motorcycle and um, and I logged thousands and thousands of miles from the very north to the very south, you mm-hmm. know, border Malaysia and put my motorcycle on little boats that would ferry me to islands and motorcycle islands and camp out. And, and uh, what else? Worked on photography because I was always an avid photographer and uh, mm-hmm. journaling and writing and re- catching up on reading that I had missed out because... Well, the work that I had done, I'd had no time teaching, as you know, it can consume a lot of time. Mm-hmm. So I read a lot of books and caught up with uh, some of the music that I missed out of. But eventually the money ran out. I don't know. Money has a funny way of doing that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it flies out faster than it flies in. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so then um, I got married. I met someone from Thailand and we're still married. So that was 1989. I don't even know how many years. <laughs> <laughs> so let's see if my son is 30, 30, I think I've been married 31 or 32 years going okay. on. But anyways, um, after the marriage, we moved to Japan and uh, we spent uh, kind of a working honeymoon back, back in Japan. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I managed an English school and I taught English and my wife um, studied Japanese and did some babysitting work to some mm-hmm. expat families. And then um, back to Thailand and we spent uh two or three years back there. And um, my son was born in Northern Thailand in Chiang Mai. Mm-hmm. He was born in 1991. And then in, I think maybe you asked originally what brought me back to LA. Maybe that was your first question. And it was really fatherhood and wanting to uh, go back to school. I wanted to continue my education. And I, and I felt that I just had this real uh, strong desire to um, go back to school. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. I actually went back for a doctoral program in clinical psychology because that's what I had. I had studied psych in my undergrad. So uh, I went back uh, for that, but, and we moved to San Diego, but I found that I, I just couldn't uh, go to school full time and, and work full time and mm-hmm. be a husband and a father. <laughs> so I ended up doing a master's in uh, applied linguistics and, you know, teaching English as a second language. And uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So Thailand, uh, a little bit of Vietnam. We took a trip there and I did a little bit of kind of guest teaching mm-hmm. with my wife. And that was uh, back in 1992, just mm-hmm. before we moved to L.A. And that was uh, an experience, a real trip. Okay. And so you lived in Japan, you lived in Thailand, you've lived in America, you've been single, you've had a family. So, you know, I guess I'm wondering, what is your definition of home? And did you feel a sense of home in each of the countries that you lived in, like whether you were single or when you were married? And how did you make it a home? Like physically, how did you make it a home? You know, uh, emotionally, mentally, like what were some things you had to do to feel that sense of home? Well, 
I think wherever I am, I I have this sense of home. So like, uh, I also, I have an apartment in San Francisco and I spend a lot of time up there. Mm-hmm. And when I'm up in San Francisco, it, it feels like home. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it is kind of a home because it's, you know, I have all my, <laughs> all my goodies, all my toys, my belongings, my bicycle. Mm-hmm. But aside from that, um, well, I'll go back to, to your original question where, yeah, sure. It, felt, it absolutely felt, felt like home. Yeah. I mean, it was different, but, but I, I never got homesick. Mm-hmm. Now I know that there are some, but there are some people that do, mm-hmm. um, but I never really, uh, of course, it's so many years later. Um, you know, who knows? Maybe I was a little homesick. I can't remember because I was mm-hmm. young and I'm, I'm going to be 61 in mm-hmm. the spring and I was in my 20s. But generally, uh, I don't remember ever really experiencing much homesickness. It was just like, oh, I just love this place. I, as we mentioned before the podcast started, as you talked about, everything you know, it was always new. It was so vibrant. I call it a feast for the senses, mm-hmm. the smells, the tastes, the sights, you know, mm-hmm. what you would see, even the sounds, you know, I mean, living in the U.S. for me was a lot more generic. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that I really embraced, especially in Thailand, was that just feast of the senses and and the friendliness of the people being able to make connections uh, both with the Thai and also expats. Cause I had some really, really, really close expat friends and you tend to, you know, I've been back in the United States for 29 years and I have some good friends. Now I've been out of teaching for a long period of time. I had a lot more close friends when I was actually working out of my house and I've been working out of my home for so many years. But when you work abroad, you know, and I think you, you, can understand this you go through a lot of experiences and a lot of it's just in common with other expats Mm -hmm. so you kind of form a really close bond quickly do you find that yes yes you know what i mean so it's like you can live abroad for a year and have a half a dozen friends good friends and you could live back in the u.s for like in my case for close to 30 years and and maybe maybe i've met three (laughs) <laughs> that I would yeah. go for that I yeah. consider close friends. So it's is was very you know different. Um, the thing is is um, I've been back for many years, but I've also traveled a lot. And and part of it was um, well well there was a period of time where I was invited to conferences, but that was a little bit different. That was kind of business travel. But um, maybe during the past five or six years with my kids. I've taken time to spend, of course, Thailand is, is a second home for me. And that always feels like a home when I'm over there. Mm. But aside from that, which is more obvious because my wife is from there and I spent time there and I have family there. I've also spent time renting Airbnbs and especially two places, Amsterdam and uh, Kyoto, Japan. Mm-hmm. So I spent uh, uh, a couple of months in Kyoto and in Amsterdam, I made three trips where maybe I was a couple of months each. And every time in those places, just even with an Airbnb for a couple of months, I very much felt like, like those places were my home. I had my own apartment and I would use that as a base and I would explore and I would meet people. And I felt, even though it was a short period of time, 
I guess home can mean too, like just being really, really comfortable in a place. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, you could be a, in a place in the world where it's your home, but if there's like a terrible external situation that's going on, whether, you know, let's take like a war <laughs> or mass protests or, you know, something terrible externally that's going on, it's not going to feel so much like a home, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean. You're going to want yeah. like, oh, I want. But in the places that I was with a couple of, you know, with probably a total of six months in Amsterdam, I just loved it. I felt like, oh, wow, I love, you know, I just, if I go back there tomorrow, I, I would just go right again back into the groove of feeling like Amsterdam's my home. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I've kind of felt now, especially in retrospect, that wherever I am, that's my home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you know what I mean. Yeah. So it sounds kind of crazy, but you know, but you know, but but wherever I am, I, I'm home. You know, wherever I am. So, you know, I mean, you know, so that's kind of how you know. I, but that's me. You know, that's that's just kind of how I am. I just am one that um, I love to explore, and I feel very comfortable very quickly in places. Mm-hmm. But that's just kind of uh, me. Okay. Okay. Got it. Okay. And so, (laughs) and so what, what were the struggles and the joys of being an expat? Well, um, I think that for a lot of people you do in the very beginning, perhaps go through a honeymoon period Mm -hmm. where uh, now again, I'm kind of stereotyping. There's people have a lot of different experiences, but I guess I can say for myself anyway, when you first get the, you definitely go through a honeymoon period where like everything is like, wow, this is cool. Wow. So different. Wow. I, wow. Beer and vending machines. Cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. You know, everything, you know, the train, this is cool. Teaching. Wow. I'm getting at that time, you know, I was making like $35 an hour teaching English. And you know, that's, I don't know. Today's equivalent is probably like a hundred dollars an hour. I mean, you know, I was making $6 an hour in Los Angeles and mm-hmm. everything, just all the food. And, um, and then, um, I don't know, at some point, you know, it crashes a little bit. <laughs> you might have a bad experience. You know, somebody may uh, uh, be rude to you or I don't know, you know, I mean, you know, or you're overworked or something and, you know, and, you know, you then you might go through kind of the whole opposite end of the spectrum where, you know, you kind of hate it a little bit for, for a bit. And then it kind of balances out and, um, you know, you, you're, you're not like overly excited but which is probably good and you're not you don't hate it you're just comfortable like i guess that goes back to where you're talking about feeling at home mm-hmm. you know you feel comfortable mm-hmm. you know you know you're going to have good days and there's going to be bad days and you know but as far as the bad things uh well i guess back in those days the the difficult thing was just communication which people wouldn't have such a problem now with uh, the internet and with Zoom and Skype and Facebook Messenger and all of that. But in the days that I lived there, it was the isolation, I suppose, from friends and family and kind of what was going on for me. Like, you know, like if I followed the Los Angeles Dodgers, um, I had no idea. (laughs) Even films, you know, I mean, they would get to Tokyo. It's not like now where, you know, a film is released and it's like all over the world. You know, in those days, it would take a long time to get the newest movie out to you know i mean some of them came fairly quickly but um it took a while those were some of the pitfalls language it took a while 
um, you know, th- you know, to, for me to pick up some Japanese to be able to communicate well enough. Um, so you might have sometimes language problems or going into a restaurant and not being able to read the menu at all and just kind of like, ah, oh, <laughs> it's not like now where you can take your phone out and uh, take a photo and send it to Google Translate, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's very different now um provided you have a phone mm-hmm. getting lost you know like now you have gps yeah. on your phone. there were there were a lot of things that you struggled with then that you don't struggle with now so like mm-hmm. i remember like having an appointment for an interview you know for a hiring for an english school and mm-hmm. getting lost and um, asking people and getting pointed down this street, no, you know, and, mm-hmm. and being a half mm-hmm. hour late for the interview because you couldn't find the school, the location, and uh, yeah. uh, not getting the job because you were late. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, you just go Google GPS, which I've done abroad many, many, many times. Yes. Um, uh, boom, you've got walking directions or whatever, even transportation directions. So there were a lot of things then that were difficult, uh, which is has been made a lot easier uh, now yeah. Um, yeah. as we're in 2022 in the last like five or six years, especially. That's the bad thing. But there's probably a lot more good than there is bad. I mean, <laughs> yeah. So those are just some of the negative things. And they're not even that negative. A lot yeah. of the negative turned out to be positive. You go to a restaurant, you can't read the menu. So, you know, you try to speak or you just sometimes mm-hmm. it's fun. You point to something on the menu and you just gamble and mm-hmm. see what comes and like wow this is good mm-hmm. or getting lost sometimes getting lost is the best thing that ever happened to you because yeah. you discover well wow i didn't know that park was over there that's cool so a lot of times even the negative things are you know positive when you can look at them optimistically as far as the good things um as you said you know every day is new like you never know what's going to happen you know you know, you wake up and I think there's a lot more spontaneity, mm-hmm. you know, it could be expats that may just say, Hey, you want to go out tonight and go to this bar? Or you want to, when I was living in Thailand, somebody would just stop by one of my friends on his motorcycle and say, Hey, you want to take a trip out to this place and have lunch and then motorcycle back? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or I remember one time being abroad with my kids, um, living, um, in Chiang Mai, um, Northern Thailand. And, uh, my kid's grandmother woke us up like at 6 a.m. in the morning. We said, what's going on? Well, there was an elephant outside our window, a guy walking his elephant. We came out and there's an elephant. You know, I mean, you know, that just, just doesn't happen in L.A. You know? Yeah. Hey, there's Dad, just a there's lot an of, elephant outside my exactly. window. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> there's just stuff that just kind of happens that, I mean, not every day is like that. And, you know, sometimes you can, I know you can feel kind of overworked. But it, I think the people that you meet, your social life when you live abroad, um, I think there's less of it um, for me personally, you know, living in the U.S. Um, when I lived abroad, um, I just had the opportunity to meet so many people. I mean, when I lived abroad, I met a lot of expats. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, but also because, and as you mentioned, because we did talk before this podcast, mm-hmm. standing out, standing because I stand out. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes that's a negative thing. I want to just blend in, and I'm sure you can relate to that. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I don't want attention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just want to. I want to be alone. I just. But uh, but the attention on the positive side, you tend to meet people, especially when yeah. you're in the mood, mm-hmm. and you can, and especially if you can speak some of the languages. I can speak kind of 
I don't know, decent tie, not great tie, but enough to be able to make friends with and communicate and, you know, mm-hmm. and it's fun, you know, so you can kind of uh, uh, meet people um, have conversations and sometimes, um, you know, have, have bonds. Mm-hmm. Then, then, you know, there's the, the pay, which depending on where you at, uh, where you are at, like Japan, I made actually good money. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there was the pay for me anyways, compared to what I was earning uh, as a career. Um, in LA at that, at that time in the 1980s, uh, the food, just the amazing foods. I can't even tell you Japan and Thailand, you know, maybe some of the two best cuisines ever. There's a lot more positives than negatives, but I do think it does take a type of person that embraces that, you know, not everybody's like that. Mm-hmm. You know, not everybody's meant to be an expat. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it, it has to be something that you really love and want. And um, some people never had the opportunity and have never been out the, outside the United States and they go abroad and they love it. And they're just natural expats. Mm-hmm. And there's some people that, um, you know, they complain and they don't like this. And, uh, they, you know, it's just, you know, they want to eat McDonald's every day or they don't want to. Yeah learn the language or meet the locals or mm-hmm. you know, maybe they're just going abroad just for the money. But in my case, prior to living abroad, I had spent uh, a lot of time traveling um, and I had backpacked uh, Europe and North Africa and, and Africa. I had backpacked from Egypt all the way down to Kenya mm-hmm. and, um, and spent time uh, in the Middle East. So I was lucky that, that I was just kind of, since the time I was about nine or 10, I had the opportunity to to spend time in different countries down Mexico and all over the place. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it was just kind of a natural, I felt very comfortable. Mm-hmm. I, you know, so yeah. Okay. And so you mentioned, you know, like things are different and you're absolutely right. Like just here in like China, people have told me like, wow, Jalila, you certainly have things much better. Like, you know, I've met expats who have been here like a much longer time um, who actually went to university here and they've spent like two decades here. They're like, you can have a much easier time than I did when I first got here because they're like, we chat. So WeChat is something we use in China for like everything. Mm-hmm. So you you use your phone. You don't need cash. You know, you use right, WeChat right. for for contacts, for paying your rent, for paying your utilities, for receiving your income from your employer. You can mm-hmm. receive on WeChat, you know, for sending to to friends. It has so many capabilities. It's mm-hmm. really unbelievable. And so also the other thing that you mentioned is like, you know, yeah, you, you do take a chance. Like I took a food tour one time Mm -hmm. in Beijing and the food tour said, okay, well, our next stop, you know, we're going to go to this place. We're going to enjoy donkey burgers. And I was like, (laughs) like, how good is a burger from donkey mate? Like how, how good is that going to be? And I'm thinking, wow, you know, I'm, I'm going to be really pissed, you know, at the end of this. And I I loved it. I loved it. I tell people all the time, like one of the things I miss from Beijing was that donkey burger. Maybe you you can open a restaurant back. Yeah. Yeah. And so like some people have told me, oh, yeah, well, I, I can take you to a restaurant like that in Shanghai. But I'm like, yes, but I just I really enjoyed that restaurant so much. Right, so right, it's, right. it's true. It's like you you have all these unique and different, interesting, strange experiences. Um, I remember one time when I was in Paris, I went to this restaurant. It was down this alley. And it's funny because the Uber car took me there and even they were like, are you sure about this? Cause it's like, you know, they're going down this alley and I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. 
yeah, go, 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 go. And so when he got there, no joke, like this guy, he told me, he's like, I've lived in Paris like all my life. He's like, I didn't even know there was a restaurant. I, I had never even seen this alley, let alone mm-hmm. know there was a restaurant because I was referred by a friend. They're like, go down this alley. So I was like, yeah. And he's like, well, I hope you enjoy. He's like, I'm going to come back here one day and see how, what it is. And so I went there and the restaurant, you know, they seated me and it was a uh-huh. small place, family owned business. So it was a mom and a dad. And so there were only a few tables, I think like maybe like six or eight or something like that. Very mm-hmm. small place. And so I went in and I sat down and, and they're like, Oh, you're from America. Like how, how did you find this place? And I'm like, a friend referred me. They'd come down an alley one day mm-hmm. and referred me. And they were just so pleasantly surprised that like I found them because they didn't do any advertisement. Like I said, they were a small place. So really, you know, if, if you didn't live in the neighborhood, you, you had no clue, like, like they existed, honestly. And it really right. was one of the best meals I have ever had. I mean, like the salmon was unbelievable. The dessert, the service, you know, it was, it really felt like a home that I had stepped into. And I think that that's what made it so special for me at wow. that moment. Um, Sounds as, wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And especially, you know, I had gone to Paris like right after un- the unfortunate terrorist act, you know, at the Bataclan. So oh, yeah, it was yeah. like, you know, I was nervous and lots of people were nervous for me going there. But, you know, either I'm adventurous or I'm crazy. I don't know which. So like, <laughs> so like, you know, when I went there, I was nervous too. like, what what would the feeling be like? You know, what would I be able to see and have somewhat of a decent experience there? And really, that was the first place that I went to. And, and I would say like that marked the whole trip and the whole trip felt good after that you know even though yes it was kind of an an air of sadness but still the whole trip felt honestly like warm and loving and i met so many people who were like so thankful that that i had uh-huh. wow. chance to actually go to some place that had experienced this tragedy and were like hey thank you for coming thank you for being here like thank you for taking the chance thank you for not being afraid and so anyway right. so my point is that like yeah you can have some experiences which you think are like oh man that's not that's not cool but then you can have some other experiences which are like Wow, like you know, I'll remember that for the rest of my life. Like how wonderful yeah. that was. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Well, that's a good point that you that you made about remembering the stuff for the rest of your life, and that that's one of the things I think that travel or living abroad or the experiences that that we both have had. Yeah, those are things that you will remember. I mean, that you've just have a collection of just incredible, memorable impressions that will you know, that, that will stay with you. You know, yeah. I mean, I mean, you could buy a new car and I don't know, 20, 30 years from now, you wouldn't even remember it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I can barely exactly. remember the car that I had 30 years ago. I mean, um, although I remember all of my motorcycles, I'm a motorcyclist. So, cause yeah. those motorcycles are, have taken me on many adventures. So that actually kind of segues into my last question for you. So, so you created this amazing resource to finding teaching opportunities abroad. Oh, now it's eslcafe.com. Okay. Yeah. So, so I'm going to put the information uh-huh. in the show notes. So guys, don't worry about it okay. um, we're on the website. Um, so, you know, what prompted you to create that? And have you ever received feedback from expats about how helpful the website was? And do you still actively run the website and, you know, speak about, do you have any plans to return abroad yourself. Hmm. 
Well, the going back to how it was created, um, I had just finished my master's degree and I was teaching at Cal State University Northridge. And while I was in graduate school from 93 to 95, I, I became interested in what was the internet back then, which was very different from the way the internet is now. I was using it for research and um, for communicating using a kind of a primitive type of chat. It was using the Unix language, which is kind of like the way DOS is. You'd use a terminal. It's very prehistoric. You know, it's not. But I was using it from 93 to 95 as a grad student. And then in 95, I, I learned HTML, which is a hypertext markup language, which is the coding that you use to create web pages. And uh, the internet, as we know, it was just kind of beginning um, in 95. And uh well, to make a long story short, <laughs> I uh, created with my uh, advanced writing class. I was teaching ESL at Cal State University Northridge, and uh, we created a web page together. Where together as a class, we published uh, photos and biographies of each of the students, and we put the page online. And uh, it had quite an impact. My students uh, received uh, email messages or key pals, as as you call them, you know, pen pals, but through the internet, key pals. And we got feedback from, from other teachers and students from all over the world. And it was my first experience to self-publish, mm-hmm. you know, just like you're using your podcast to, to self-publish your broadcasting to the world. Well, that's what I was doing. I was really amazed that I could publish mm-hmm. and reach people all over the world. And so I just started um, experimenting. I just started, you know, creating web pages and web pages and web pages. And that was around December of 95. And then in the spring of 96, like three months later, I was invited to TESOL, uh, the International TESOL Conference, which was held in Chicago. And I presented there. And it just kind of snowballed. It just built from there. And then a year later, I was approached doing a presentation by a publisher from uh, an editor from Prentice Hall Regents. And she asked me if I wanted to write a book. And I said, yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. So I wrote some internet books for, for ESL teachers, kind of guides and a student workbook uh, on how to use the internet. And that gave me the opportunity to, to present, travel and give workshops all over the world. And I did that for two or three years. And then in 1999, I started making money, really. Mm-hmm. I, it was becoming too expensive to run the website in terms of time and server costs. So I started charging for job ads and it took off. 1999 was my last year of teaching. Mm -hmm. And so in January of 2000, uh, I left the classroom and I haven't been back. Yeah. I've been Mm -hmm. working out of my house 21, 22 years. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so yes, I am still running my website. It was redesigned almost two years ago. Mm-hmm. And so it's just, you know, it's easier to navigate and especially from the back end, from my part, so much easier to run mm-hmm. now because of COVID we, there's still jobs and I publish jobs every single day, but of course, because of COVID, we just don't have the numbers that we had, um, pre COVID. It's just mm-hmm. difficult for people to, it's not impossible. South Korea has been doing very well. I get a lot of ads from South Korea, um, but it's still difficult. Yeah, it's still difficult. Just when we think we're 
out of it, um, then something like the Omicron uh, hits. Yeah. And, um, and then places close up again. Uh, Thailand is an example. Mm-hmm. So that's what I do. And as far as plans, I, I will visit abroad. Um, yeah, I think it would be quite difficult for me to, to move abroad. I have two kids that are grown up. Mm-hmm. One, my daughter just turned 25 and my son is 30, but you know, I think it'd be difficult for my wife and I just to move abroad and be away from them. And so uh, if you've been at a place for a long period of time or in a place, you start to, to develop deep roots mm-hmm. and being back in Los Angeles for this many years. Um, yeah. It, it's even the thought of just even moving to another city in the United States is just seems like, you know, with all the, it's be a lot of work. It's not so easy when you get married and you have kids and you have three dogs and three cats and all of this. It's, it's a lot more difficult, you know? Yeah. But visiting abroad. Yeah. And hopefully when things clear up, I'm an avid traveler. Uh, I've taken my kids all over the place, especially my daughter. If we can, we spend a lot of time in Cambodia so hopefully we'll we'll uh, get back to Thailand. I have a kind of a base there, a home that I built, but I've given to my mother-in-law, but I, we use it as a base and that's in Chiang Mai. So we've used that as a base to travel to, you know, especially several trips to Cambodia, but also to India and, and Nepal. And so we hope to get back over there, depending on how COVID is and how open the countries are, you know, and how easy it is to get in. Um, okay. If not, if not, it'll have to be 2023. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, we were all set to go to Thailand, really. And then because of Omicron, they, they closed up again. They have quarantine. One week. We don't want to quarantine. Mm-hmm. Um, before, if you were vaccinated, you only needed to kind of quarantine for one night. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was fine, you know, but, uh, but we don't want to quarantine for a week. It's com- it's complicated right now. Um, getting in and traveling around the, the country right now, but if I could, yeah, you know, it's different. I mean, even though I'm going to be 61, I, I don't feel 61. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty immature. I, I just bought an electric scooter. So I have this little scooter stand up like skateboard type scooter. And I, my favorite game is Pokemon go. So I go around the streets with my scooter and my Pokemon Go. And uh, so, you know, I, I, feel, I feel young. I feel like, you know, I certainly could, if things were different, go abroad. Even that's another encouragement to quote unquote older teachers out there that perhaps don't just have all the heavy baggage that I have to, to go abroad. You know, if you happen to be in your 40s or 50s or 60s or older or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And you're able to do it. I say, go for it. You know, I mean, I feel I'm probably in better physical shape than I was, you know, than I was 24, 25 years old. Mm-hmm. So if I could go and teach abroad, I'd love it. I'd love to be able to do it. It's just the way my circumstances are right now with my dogs and my cats and my kids and my houses uh, and my garden mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and my older brother. Yeah. I, I can't, I can't right now. Just take trips. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, we're going to leave the interview there. And I'm so thankful, so thankful that you took the time to be interviewed by me today, Dave. So with that, you have a great day, Dave, as well as our listeners. And that's it. 
So tune into this next episode with Jenea. Jenea is from America and she moved to China a few years ago. So although she's rooted in America, she has found that she has bloomed everywhere else in the world. She's traveled to so many different countries. And as an educator from America, she's enjoyed teaching abroad, but she's also learned so much about herself living abroad. I hope you enjoyed the show. Remember to hit subscribe and to stay updated, head over to arewehomeyetpodcast.com. I'm Jalila Clark. See you next time.